Welcome to The Flute NI. Join me, Ashling Agnew, as we explore the unique world of the flute in Northern Ireland. World-renowned players, teachers and makers from a wide variety of musical backgrounds share their experiences and expertise. This episode features the well-known and highly experienced performer and teacher Colin Irvine. I started off by asking Colin about his musical background. I was very lucky to grow up in a musical household. Now, it was always my father's side of the family that was musical. Uh, Not so much my mother, but my father was big into flute bands, concert flute bands, proper flute bands. And he was self-taught in playing and in the theory. And he, uh, he turned out to be a, a decent arranger of pieces. And not, as you know, flute bands don't have any published stuff. Uh-huh. So anything that's done is done by six or eight people in the country who yeah. know bass clef, treble clef and, and different instruments. So my father was always very good at arranging stuff and ended up doing quite a lot of the contest pieces for November, for junior uh-huh. and the major and senior bands. Uh, Dennis Irvine. And... He, at no point, ever said to me, you should start to play a flute. <laughs> but he went he went about it in a very sneaky way. Because he was involved with a band in Belfast, or a Temperance okay. flute band, he was big into there. He always had lots of instruments, because he, he fixed instruments as well. But there was an instrument in every room. Yeah. I was never encouraged to do it, but I always snuck in and tried to get a noise out of it. Mm-hmm. Before I knew it, I was starting to make a noise. And then... Once my dad realised that I was playing it, the bigger flutes went away and I was left with the baby flutes that I could, could reach. And then the, eventually the flutes got bigger again. So my inspiration at the start was definitely my father, though he would never have said that it was him. And I was very lucky because there was just a squad of people coming through school at that stage who were all flute players. Mm-hmm. And we sort of fed off each other. Okay. Um, there was a big rivalry because I was in Argyle and all the guys in Balaclare were in Balaclare band who were really quite good at the time yeah. and I was always getting slagged off because Argyle weren't just as good uh, so we started to play in the primary school our first teacher was a guy in the board Gordon Cook who was an ex-marine and you, you certainly practised for yeah. Gordon because he would tell you if you didn't uh-huh. do something right he was great uh, and from there, I fell into Colin Fleming, yeah. which we all do eventually mm-hmm. in one way or another. Yeah. All roads uh, lead to Yeah, all, all roads do lead to. Um, very demanding, as you know. He was always on my periphery because we actually grew up about 200 yards away from each yeah. other. So I always knew him as this big guy who was the son of Barty Fleming, Arthur Fleming. Mm-hmm. Arthur Fleming took Balaclare for band. And Arthur always was teasing me about not being in Balaclare band. You know. So I ended up going to Balaclare for the band. That's when I, I fell in with Colin, Arthur's son. Uh, and after a couple of months, Colin said, come on up to the house. The rest is history, as they say. An extraordinary teacher, an extraordinary talent, if you're willing to work. Everybody has had the moment there at yeah. some point yeah. where you just either won't take it or you just explode back. So any flute player that I am is basically because of my father, 
because of Arthur Fleming and because of his son Colin. Okay. Um, nobody else comes close. I had a series of lessons. And it was quite weird because Justin, you don't know Justin Gillespie, do you? I, I know him, yeah. Right, well, Justin was without doubt the best flute player I have ever heard at his age. Mm-hmm. And he got to the academy and got a scholarship to study with Webb. And that same year, I went over to Jeff Gilbert in the Guildhall. Okay. And Jeff was just a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Did you ever meet Jeff? No. No. Before my time. Jeff <laughs> was just fiendishly good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he he taught flute in the Guildhall from he, he was very young. He was actually the principal flute in the Holly Orchestra when he was sixteen. There's a photograph of him in Queen's University, actually. Right. The Halley Orchestra performed in the Whitlow Hall. Uh, but Geoffrey uh, made you record all of his lessons. And the, the lesson would be an hour and be a chat beforehand, the lesson, then a cup of tea after it. And Jeff is just talking, my brain out of the side of his mouth. You know, just, the, the room was just clouded in smoke. Uh, but you would listen to tapes of you having a lesson with Jeff six months after the event mm-hmm. and you genuinely wouldn't recognise yourself playing. Okay. You would go, How, who is that person? I think Jeff was the complete opposite to Colin. Colin's rigorous and you have to do it this way, methodical. Do this, do that, do this and the outcome is there. Yeah. Jeff just talked. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden just this light came on inside your head and you just played. Yeah. And it was good to have that two sort of side contrast. of the contrast. Yeah. And uh, heartbroken when Jeff died. He came over here and did a course every year mm-hmm. for Billy Dunwoody. Yeah. Uh, in Methodly, people came from the States, came from South Africa, came from Central Europe, all because Jeff Gilbert came to Belfast. In the 80s? In the, the 80s, late 70s, early 80s. So people in the sort of height of the Troubles coming from all over the world to, to Belfast. We were, we were quite shielded. It was Methody, it was the centre of Belfast, or it was just far enough away from the centre of Belfast that there wasn't yeah. the checkpoints and everything. And everybody just got on like a house on fire. Yeah. And everybody wanted to go to him mm-hmm. because he was just a joy. People think, I think from outside, that during the Troubles, for example, like life stopped or everything yeah. just got on with like the bare minimum. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like here you have one of the world's most respected flute teachers yeah. coming to Belfast because of all the flute playing that's going yeah. on. And, and there was, I mean, as he said himself, and uh, I've, I've often used it, there are more flute players per square mile in the north of Ireland than there are anywhere else in the world. Yeah. You know, they may not be that good, but <laughs> nearly everybody has tried to play flute or does play flute <laughs> at some point. So, yeah, he, he, was, he was just super. Uh, and we had guest players coming in. Galway came in quite often because him and Jeff knew each other obviously very well. Uh, I remember vividly one time they played a flute trio uh, and the, the three of them were standing on stage, Jimmy Galway, Jeff Gilbert and Colin Flem. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was super to hear because Jeff had an absolutely f- phenomenal technique, but he made it look really natural. Yeah. And Galway was out to play to prove a point, mm-hmm. 
and he was digging in and going for it and Flemo was standing in the middle looking between them going keeping on keeping on keeping on Jeff was just standing there yeah. you know, just you would never have even seen his fingers move on mm-hmm. so we had some lovely experiences with mm-hmm. players coming across we were very lucky with what we had yeah. with Billy and Woody always pushing but never being in the fore he was just gently just this is the way you should think about doing it go there yeah as I say, Kevin and Ball as well, giving a bit of support with 39th and gently, those two gently bringing in other people from other bands. Because mm-hmm. I ended up playing up in 39th as much as I played in Bally Claire. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, know? you because you see, I mean, that's where I started off and Billy was my first flute teacher. And so that was kind of the centre of my yeah. flute world. But like, how did you end up meeting Billy? Was it just because all the bands knew each other? It, it, it was just, you saw, Billy was a big name. Mm-hmm. And the Irish flute bands have created some solid flute players who have gone away to do other things. Mm-hmm. And the, the old adage about not that Billy ever played on it, he taught Jimmy Galway. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Billy was just everybody's granddad. Yeah. He just you know, he just wanted to give Billy a hug. Yeah. And they just refused to get annoyed about anything. Mm-hmm. Which was fabulous to watch because he it, the more when Colin was conducting the 39th, the more that Colin got rowdy mm-hmm. about trying to get something done, the exact opposite Billy went. Yeah. Uh, and then, then that annoyed Colin <laughs> even more. And Billy would be sitting, tittering away themselves. Yeah. Just, there's a way to do this and you can have fun and you can push, but yeah. let's, let's have a laugh at the same time. Billy never really asked you to do anything. You offered without realising that you ended up doing it, you know? Yeah. You, you know, that was just the way of it. You know, I used to find myself in these halls doing a competition. I think, like, how did I get here? How did this yeah. happen? And, like, Billy would just enter me for things yes. and just, you know, phone the house and say, you've got to be here at this time yeah. tomorrow and bring that piece and go and play. And he was just managing so much, yes. like, behind the yeah. scenes, you know. No, he's a, he's a super, super man and a great loss yeah. uh, for everybody. I mean, all I know I took over the, the teaching post in Methody mm-hmm. after Billy passed. And uh, I had nearly two days in Methody from Billy, and they were all heartbroken, yeah. which is wonderful mm-hmm. to hear that yeah. because he had such an effect on them. Mm-hmm. And he turned out lots of good players. He was, he was definitely a man for encouraging you to walk your own course. You've taught so many students, and you've like produced lots of great students and people that have gone on to pursue careers. I've been very lucky. I've, I've come across by luck. Uh, I've come across some people who have been extraordinary mm-hmm. and who have gone on to play in orchestras and, and bands and different things around the world. Uh, my philosophy is at the start you have to have fun. Okay. You have to want to make those kids come in through the door. Mm-hmm. And even if the, the, the lesson is 30 minutes, even if you stand for 10 or 15 minutes talking and laughing, but getting them to do things as well, yeah. they will want to come back the next week. Mm-hmm. And if you can encourage them to keep doing that, then yeah. you can reel them in a little bit. Yeah. And it's okay to go after a year, year and a half, when you know that they're actually going to stay, mm-hmm. then you can... Push a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. But you can't push until you know you've got them. Mm-hmm. And that sounds awful. 
but the, absolutely the first the first year, year and a half, possibly even two years, and possibly more than that for string players especially. Mm -hmm. But I would say that you have to, first of all, be moderately humorous at their level. You have to encourage them to gently do a little bit of practice and a little bit more practice. And look, if you do this, you'll hear yourself improving. Getting them to believe that practice works, because as you know, if you practice, you're supposed to get better. If you get better, you'll hear yourself getting better. If you hear yourself getting better, you'll enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy it more, you practice more. If you yeah. practice more, you get better. And, and it just goes, and I can go the other way just as, sure. as well. I always try to say to them, look, if you want to come in here and look like a tube every week, don't do any practice. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I will know, mm -hmm. we've all been doing it long enough that yeah. we can help. Uh, and you have to treat everybody differently. There are some students that come in and you can push them very early on mm -hmm. because you, you can see there's an intensity with them. Yeah. And there's other kids that you, you come in and you go, right, we're going to have to be gently, gently here mm -hmm. because they're just so nervous. Yeah. They're just young and they haven't found themselves yet. And that's the nicest thing about the job in many ways because you don't teach two people the same way. Mm -hmm. Before all this cross-community stuff mm -hmm. uh, that came in, uh, the only area that kids from any background in every area of the country came together was playing mm -hmm. in, in an orchestra and a music service. sure whether I was good enough to play a first flute. I knew it was probably good enough to do a second flute uh, and I would, with a bit of work I could probably get away with a piccolo occasionally <laughs> and there was a, a stage between about 85, 86 and about 2005, say 20 years, where I did quite a lot of work with the Ulster Orchestra and I loved it, mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I was lucky because there wasn't access of money around then, mm -hmm. so they also were doing bigger shows. Uh, they were never done doing Mahler. I mean, it was just a it was ridiculous size of orchestra on the stage, uh, and the more work that I got, the more that sometimes Meg would take a week off or Libby would take a week off or whatever, and I would get a turn. Or then somebody would be ill and I would get a turn, which didn't help my teaching variation. <laughs> so it sort of all fell into place yeah. for those 20 years. Plus there was Castle Ward at that stage. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which was a huge point of musical entertainment in this country yeah. for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, and we adored it. I mean, the 25 years that we were doing it together, which a girl from Newry, Sinead Frame and me, played the flute in the band uh, and it was just it was wonderful 
And we didn't realise how lucky we were to get the chance to do it until it was taken away from us. Of course, yeah. Uh, so that the only opera that was happening, like it was. I mean, the, the, there was what's it called now? Northern Ireland Opera. Yeah. Called. I think it was Opera Northern Ireland that was the old one. Right. But they ran it twice. There was two shows a year. Okay. And they did a week in the opera house, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it sort of finished. And Ian Irwin and Jack Smith, who were the sort of originators of Castle Ward, started up in about 80, I can't remember now, it's probably 85 as well. Everything just happened about the same stage. Uh, they started the opera down in there. We did a month's rehearsals and a month's show, wow. five, six nights a week, driving down to Strangford. It was great. Mm-hmm. It, it was glorious. A uh, huge interval. They were trying to do a Glenbourne type thing, mm-hmm. so there was a marquee and all the food and all that stuff. It was a grand night, uh, but the f- that all came to an end as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that cut down on the amount of work. So when the work ended, for me anyway, uh, it just became more of a teaching thing. So yeah. I've, I've, I was able to balance both until there was a tipping point. Okay. And then that tipping point sort of appeared when there was less playing work yeah. so I was lucky to have the choice to keep doing it. Now I still do some playing here and there uh-huh. but there's certainly not what there was. And most of what you're talking about with your playing work like the things that you've obviously enjoyed are freelance orchestral yes. gigs or like shows that you've done as well. The shows are, the, the, like I, there's quite a lot of musicians around I feel that sort of poo-poo shows but I I adore being on the pit. Mm-hmm. I love it. The camaraderie mm-hmm. is brilliant. As you know, you did the, the crack mm-hmm. in the pit is just ridiculously good. Uh, and some really, really, really good players mm-hmm. being employed to do the job. I could sit in the opera house pit every day of the week. I, I, I love that side of it. Conducting the concert band, have you done that for quite a long time? <laughs> Every Saturday morning. <laughs> Every sa- I love it. I, I I call it my. It's it's affectionately known as my uh, jail. So we started in nineteen hundred and ninety-eight, which is twenty-two years ago, mm-hmm. and we have the same staff bar one. And the first morning we looked at each other and said five years. We'll give it five years and see what happens. Go to five years. Well, I'm going to ten. And all of us have said, right, when it stops being fun, that's time for us to leave. And here we are later, 22 yeah. years later, and we're still there. Now, and it will come to an end of that, I'm certain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the minute, we're still enjoying ourselves. We still go out as a group. And we just get on like a house on fire. And we run around Belfast like 
agents, as they say, in this part of the world. But we just enjoy each other's company and we go on a Saturday morning and we have a laugh. And, you know, the kids, I'm sure they think we're all nuts. Mm -hmm. But there's very few of them mess. Yeah. And to get a bunch of teenagers up out of their beds on a Saturday morning to be there for nine o'clock. You know you're doing something right. Well, I don't know if we're doing it right. They get on well together. They get on well with us. There's no rule that can't be broken in the concert band. Always has been Mm -hmm. the way. Uh, if somebody makes a mistake, we will embarrass them. <laughs> and that goes for me as well. Uh-huh. They have stood up and pointed at me and called me a loser because I've gotten them wrong. It's all about, and it has to go both ways. Mm-hmm. It can't be a one-way street, especially with teenagers. Because yeah. they're, they're too smart. They see through you too quickly. You know, it, Orchestras and bands are a different animal. If a, an orchestral conductor went in front of the band, and did what they do to an orchestra, the band would just tell them, you know, well, thank you. put the flutes and clarinets and all the way and just not come back after the break. Mm-hmm. And if I went in front of an orchestra, the orchestra would just go, you're having too much fun, what's yeah. going on? It, 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 just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You have to know, what was it, Clint Eastwood said, you have to, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> and it's the truth, you know, it's okay pushing yourself and trying to get yourself to, to achieve more. But there are some things that should be left alone. Personally, I think an orchestra should be conducted by a string player because that's your body and soul of the 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 beast you have in front of it. The woodwind's only there to add a bit of sparkle, and the brass is there to add a bit of oomph, and the percussion's there to shock and awe. But you need somebody who can explain bow, pressure, angle, you know, how to get in for the attack, and. We can sort of relate with support and speed of tongue and pressure of air, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And you need to have the string players on your side and in order to make it to work. And they'll see through you. If you, you're not explaining it in a way that they can understand, that yeah. you've lost respect. Uh, but you know, like just the fact that you are like playing and teaching and conducting and doing all these things, yeah. you know what I mean? It's never like. No, I'm very, I'm, I'm very lucky. Never a day goes past where. I get up in the morning and think to myself, I don't really want to go. And I, I'm not really one for this well-being thing, or I wasn't until the last six months, mm-hmm. seven or eight months. Um, I didn't realise how heavily it was weighing on me until we got back to school and got back to the school of music mm-hmm. and got to the wee bit of playing. It was like a weight was coming off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I would have said, ah, yeah, whatever. But there would appear to be more to it yeah. than I... And that's another good lesson for me. Mm-hmm. I am very privileged in what I do. And I long may stay that. I mean, I, did I ever think that I would spend my whole life doing it? There was no game plan at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It was just do what you like and try to have as much fun doing it as mm-hmm. you can. So you would say the music scene generally has changed a wee bit here over oh, the years and I mean obviously thing. you've made decisions on your career based yes. on that. Like. Uh, financially, up until about the start of this century, there was an abundance of concerts going on, an abundance of paid work. Solo, small group, chamber orchestra, 
orchestra. There was everything going on. Mm-hmm. Pit bands, shows in different towns, even pantomimes. We used to do a pantomime in the, in the Lyric Theatre. Mm-hmm. And it was three shows a day for ten weeks, yeah. six days a week. And you had Christmas Day off and New Year's Day off. Mm-hmm. Now in January it tailed off a little bit. There wasn't as many shows. But that was a huge amount of work. And it was nice to get the chance to do that type of thing. But there's no work like that now. There's just not that much going around. Mm-hmm. As you know yourself, unless you're willing to go out and do something spectacular, you know, and, and make yourself noticed. And sometimes it's needs must. Yeah. Just has to has to be done. Mm-hmm. Has to be done. So tell me about your flute, Colin, and what you play on, and if you've changed instruments over the years. Uh, do you have one that you've loved I have, for a long I, time? I am. I am actually without instrument at the minute. Oh. This flute. This this flute is actually Jenny Heaney's. Okay. Uh, and she lent it to me to I find something that I like. Now that's a Sheridan head joint. The Sheridan head joint, and mm-hmm. um, it's. Really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had it in a gold, a manual flute, which was just gorgeous. And it's probably the worst thing I ever did, selling it. I bought it in about 1996-ish mm-hmm. from Manuel Arista in Boston. It was absolutely beautiful. And I just, it sounds a bit poncy, but I actually just fell out of love with it. And I ended up not playing it, and I brought in a flute to school, and I, I was usually playing on the Trevor James. Not a fancy flute at all. Long time I didn't actually even bother bringing the head joint in. There was so little work, you know, I just didn't see the need. And then I thought to myself, you know, I'm sitting in that and I'm not using it. So I sent it over to the Flute Centre of New York, and next thing I got a phone call. Would you be willing to sell this without the head joint? They only wanted the body of the flute. Right. And I said, yeah, fine, whatever, just send me over the money. So I'm in the process of trying to get a flute, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, and I've played a couple of altus flutes that I like. One in particular, which is actually platinum plated. Everything, do you not find everything ridiculously expensive? Flutes are, yeah. I mean, it's just bonkers what they're looking for. To be honest, I, I didn't question it for a while, and then I remember somebody else, like another instrumentalist, saying, why are flutes so much more expensive than other yeah, instruments? It, you know, it, that I to a certain extent, it's because people are willing to pay the money. Yeah. Because there isn't that amount of gold, uh, and silver certainly isn't that expensive. I've played some two grand flutes that are every bit as good as a 15 grand flute. Yeah. And certainly the gold manual that I had was gorgeous. I have uh, at home, I have another, I have a silver Sheridan head joint, I have a silver he- Sheridan head joint with a gold riser, and I have a gold Sheridan head joint, so I would be an advocate of Dana's work, I, I think his head joint, for me anyway, suit really well. That's not to say that some of the, the newer stuff isn't as good, if not better, mm-hmm. and it's good to keep a fresh idea mm-hmm. about you know different instruments. I've picked up some flutes. I picked up a Brannan about two years ago and I thought it was the heaviest constructed flute I'd ever played on in my life. And it took me a while to get into it. It wasn't a flute that just sang out. Yet I've played, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. His flutes are slightly larger bore. And 
he's from Boston as well. Another Boston nigger. Galway plays on his flutes now. The flute was just unreal. Uh-huh. It was it nearly played itself. Yeah. I just couldn't believe the it's difference. Not Nagahara, is it? Nagahara, the yeah. very one. I had that total experience when I tried Nagahara. It's like it's just doing it by itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, it's a different thing with, with Nagahara's head joints. With everybody else they've got the, the riser, the chimney, and then the lip plate onto the edge of the chimney. Whereas Nagahara's chimney goes up onto the top of the riser. Which means that there's no break point in the solder. So if you see it, especially in the, is the stuff that he has a platinum riser, uh-huh. there's a little ridge. Oh, right, and it right. only is about two mil of platinum that comes over the edge. Yeah. But that edge that you blow against yeah. is then not gold, it's platinum, it just gives it that more bit of a zinc. But yeah, the two completely different flutes. I've played old style Cooper flutes from the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm that for their time must have been amazing and just good flutes now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, st- I still think that I'm, I'm more impressed by Altus, sort of 1207s up. Well, I, I play on an Altus silver flute, that's what my silver flute is, uh-huh. and I love it. They're, they're nice, they're really, really work well constructed, very rarely let you down, and that's what you want. You don't want something that's temperamental. You need something that's going to be sturdy. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's a guy that used to make, make flutes. You don't see his flutes for sale very lo- much now. Jack Moore's flutes are bulletproof. You could beat somebody up with them and they would still work perfectly well. Head joints, not so sure about, but the flute themselves, really, really, really good. So it is just personal. So yes, keep an open mind. Yeah. Just don't get too set in your ways. Yeah. Because like, I know the cuts that are being used in head joints now are completely different to what yeah. used to be used. Yeah. I mean, in the 80s and the 90s, it was nearly a rectangular hole. Mm-hmm. It was all about this noise. Yeah. And now it seems to be much more about a delicate thing, a more delicate and varied quality of sound, yeah. a less Galway-esque. And, and Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's fabulous. I mean, my God, would you not want to play like that? But it, it, it's a very personalised sound, yeah. which, which opens another can of worms actually because I I think the sound that you make on a flute is quite influenced by the way that you talk. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why French players have got a very delicate sound mm-hmm. and English players, Germanic. People from the north of Ireland, we have got a hardness in our voice and the, the way that we pronounce mm-hmm. things. I think that does affect the quality of sound. That's really interesting. That, and, and you know, I was always told that flute playing and playing when it's, it's much more like singing than you think. Yeah. And I think that the way that we express ourselves and that, you know, you would hear people say banana. You know, there's that. It's, it's also yeah, really, it's, yeah. Arr, it's and if you know, you hear people from over here playing that. I make that type of sound. Yeah. It's not for everybody. I know that, but uh, but it's also a gig that you're doing. You know, it depends on that. Like I've done a lot of chamber music, yeah. like smaller groups, and I can afford in that situation to play like extremely quietly and yes. things like that, right? But you know, if like Jimmy back in the day, standing up in front of huge orchestras yeah. and huge concert halls, yes. like. You have to cut through, so yeah. like no wonder he had to like play Absolutely. with that kind Jimmy of... playing Cachaturian mm-hmm. in front of a band of 90. You have to make sure you're cutting out. Yes, tailor it to whatever you're, you're doing. 
And I would say that there's the three the three head joints that I have, the Sheridan ones. Each of them make a different mm-hmm. noise. Well, it's a minefield. Good luck with your search. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea where it will end up. I just have to wait till I find the right one. Thank you to Colin for the wonderful chat and impromptu jam session at the end. Next time on the Flute NI, Patrick Davy, traditional Irish musician, performer, teacher and composer, will be sharing his story. <laughs>